Ariel and worship team, thank you so much. That was a gorgeous, beautiful song. Thanks, guys. Well, good morning again. Good to be in the house of the Lord, yes? Um, how many of you are familiar with the TV personality Megan Kelly? Some of you, yeah, she's been a couple of different uh, uh, news agencies. I'm actually not quite sure what she's up to these days. Uh, but she was in the spotlight um, for a while, and she wrote a book about kind of her journey and how she ended up uh, where she did as a TV personality. And um, it was interesting. She shared in the book about a moment and aha moment that really ended up changing the trajectory of her life. Um, she wrote this. I was reading. She said she was journaling. She said, after a decade of lawyering in New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C., and, and struggling for the coveted role of partner, she said, I wrote in my journal... I'm more interesting than this, and I'm more interested than this. I need more out of life. It was that moment of this connect of a deep dissatisfaction, even though in, in many regards, in terms of education, in terms of career and relationships, from the outside, she could have been seen as someone very, very successful. But between her and the Lord, there was this, this sense of profound dissatisfaction. And she said, from that moment... I decided to make a change, and she left uh, the, the law profession, and that's what en uh, caused her to enter into a second career. And she was saying, I, my, I, my hope that the heart of my book is that people, when they recognize those moments of deep satisfaction, is that you don't have to stay there, that you don't have to wallow in that sense of dissatisfaction, that you can change. I thought that was pretty inspirational. I was thinking of my wife, asked her permission to share this, that she had a similar sense of dissatisfaction in her job, that it was, I think it's fair to say, beyond stressful uh, of this previous job. And we wrestled through that. What does she do with that profound dissatisfaction? Right, how does she handle that? And, and it was hard for her because her personality is one of faithfulness and loyalty. She'd worked at this agency for a long time. I said, well, let's start looking. Let, let's start seeing what would open up. And then actually nothing opened up for a good long time. And despite what I tell my kids, never quit a job before you have a job, because it's easier to get a job when you got a job. But as we prayed, we sensed the Lord was inviting us, especially Kindred, to that step of faith and saying, what would it look like if we just say, hey, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. God, would you provide that place? And so she submitted her resignation before she had a job. 
And it was really neat. Before she ended her position there, she did get a new job that, that led that. It was, it, but it was like the Lord was inviting her into that moment. The reason I tell these stories is, is I wanted to share. You, you've heard from Natalie that this is our Vision Sunday. And we're talking about our seven-year vision, Vision 2025, and where we're going. And I wanted to share with you at the heart of the vision of SCC is a sense of what I, I hope is a, a sense of holy dissatisfaction. That there was a sense of profound uh, disturbance and difficulty in me personally, not only with the state of my faith, but also with the church and how it serves my faith, if I can put it that way. That there was a, a, a sense that I was unsatisfied with a number of things that we're going to talk about in, in just a moment. And I had that sense of holy dissatisfaction. And in that moment of dissatisfaction, what you do with that is so crucial, right? If you've been in that place, you can sin from that place, can we not? Can we make decisions that are not godly? Can we pursue, can we throw off commitments? All those kind of things. Yes, absolutely, we can sin from that place of dissatisfaction. But in that key moment is to ask, so Lord, if this dissatisfaction is from you, if you're stirring this in my heart, if it's not my own selfishness, which sometimes it can be, um, if it's from you, what are you calling me to do with that? In the midst of that holy dissatisfaction in my heart and soul, there was something else that I felt like the Lord was doing. That he was giving me what I would call a holy invitation for more. That at the same time, simultaneously, he was stirring the sense of dissatisfaction, that this is not okay. But then at the same time, he was stirring and saying, I'm calling you to something more. He certainly did not want me to sin in my dissatisfaction. And he was certainly not sharing the, the clear picture of what that more looked like. But I could sense that invitation to the more. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning, is both that, that sense of holy dissatisfaction and that sense of invitation to the more. And we're going to do that through uh, meditating on the, the first psalm that I felt like I ever heard the Lord's voice in. And it works out that it's the first psalm because it's Psalm 1. All right, would you, if you've brought your Bibles, would you, would you turn to Psalm 1 with me? Uh, Psalm 1 is just before Psalm 2, just to help you out a little bit in that way, all right? And, and find that, and I'm going to read it to you. We're going we're gonna to meditate on this psalm just a little bit, and I want you to note that this psalm, it, the reason, one of the reasons it's at the beginning of the book of Psalms, the psalm book of Israel, is it's meant to be an invitation. It, it's meant to be an invitation for us to enter into 
a particular way of life. And what could be helpful as we read it is note a contrast there. Sometimes uh, the Lord chooses to do that in Scripture, that he, he holds up a contrast and he says, hey, by the way, you get to choose. You get to choose. So as we read through Psalm 1, would you be mindful of the contrast that's being presented here? It says... Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Did you notice the contrast there? Yes? A couple of contrasts, a way of living. And I want to highlight a few contrasts in this psalm. One is, did you notice at the end, uses this phrase, the assembly of the righteous. Isn't that kind of a pretty sweet phrase? The assembly of the righteous. Look at your neighbor and go, are you in the assembly of the righteous? Is that a little intimidating? We want to be in the assembly of the righteous, right? Some of our lives might not say we're in the assembly of righteous. But the part of the contrast, right away, Psalm 1 is pointing to the power of friendships and relationships, the people that we hang out with and their influence in our lives. And, there, and, and Psalm 1 is saying is that who you hang around makes a difference. That is part of your first choice to make, is whether you're going to be in the company of the wicked or in the righteous assembly, you choose and you decide. We're connecting with Cambria our, in our family time uh, in, uh, in terms of FaceTime. Thank you all who ask about her and, and so many of you said praying for her in Grand Canyon University. That's wonderful. She's doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. But her prayer request was, you know, um, I'm making a lot of friends, but I haven't found my people yet. Right? There's, it's a... It's a campus of 22,000, so um, I'm not exactly sure she knows who her people are yet. I I don't think I do. I I think there's probably some uh, theatrical aspects to her people. There's some silliness and fun uh, to her people. I think that there's also a faith 
dynamic among her people that she's looking for. And that's been my prayer for her is that she would find her people and a big strand of who her people are is a people of faith. Throughout scripture, we see the importance of friends. Like in Psalm 119, it says, the psalmist says, I'm a friend of all who fear you. Lord, he's praying to the Lord. To all who follow your precepts. Friends who fear, of course, fear is used there as the idea of reverence that the psalmist is saying, I'm looking for the people that have that sense of reverence for you. This is not to say that I don't have friends that don't know Christ. But right there is a warning is that if you have a lot of friends that don't know Christ, are they influencing you more than you, you are influencing them? There's a warning there. But also there's this invitation that we would grow and connect with the assembly of the righteous, with those who fear the Lord, And know the Lord. And in part how this connects with my holy dissatisfaction. Is that I've longed as I've shared with you in the past. I'm bothered by my shallow relationships. With not just those who are not Christians. But those who are Christians. That I'm I'm bothered that there's not a, a spiritual depth, there's not, a, there's not a, a holiness and a sacredness in those relationships that are there. That being in many churches and going from churches to church as a pastor, that, that it's a rarity rather than common where those relationships go really, really And I long for that. I desire that. I want to be a part of a a kingdom community, a community of faith that I have sacred friends in. We had a whole series on that called Sacred Friends. One of those relationships that we looked at was Jonathan and David like 1 Samuel 20, 17, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his covenant, his oath, out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. That sounds very New Testament-ish, doesn't it? Right? He was sacrificial. He loved him. He pressed in. And I said, I want some Jonathans and Davids in my relationships. I'm happy to say that that I've grown in many of those and that I can look around this room and see my sacred friends. And yet that holy dissatisfaction, I believe, wasn't just for me. It was for this community of faith that, that we would be growing, that I'm not just the one that gets to have sacred friends, but that you all with one another are invited into sacred friends.
that does relate to one of the, the, the ministries that we're asking you to pray about and engage with possibly this fall starting in about a week and a half, a week. Um, and, I, and I wanted to invite two of my sacred friends up, Scott and Deb Mortensen, if you guys want to come on up here for just a moment. And I have two little stools. It's all you need, Deb. Okay, you said that, I didn't. And then I get to feel superior on the big stool. That's great. Here, let me just give you... Some of you know uh, Scott and Deb. They are... Uh, I call them super volunteers because they volunteer for tons of stuff behind the scenes. So appreciate that. So they're folks that have... Um, that were with uh, me and Kendra in our small group, in our Bible study, and have kind of transitioned into our kingdom life communities. And just wanted to ask you guys, what were some of the differences that you noticed just to help folks understand that haven't participated in a kingdom life community? What were some of the differences that you noticed, preferably good differences, uh, from kind of a small group in our Bible study to Kingdom Life communities? I think uh, really one of the biggest things is that uh, you have maybe a small group that gets together with the KLC, and so you have a, a larger group of people. Um, when we're looking at KLCs, we're looking at a week where we do an up, maybe kind of a scriptural thing where we're learning and teaching and, and learning from each other, and then another week where we may be doing an out where we're actually volunteering uh, when you have more people, it's easier to do those volunteer-type things. We've done some prayer mm -hmm. walks at Cottonwood. Um, years ago, we've done the rescue mission in the same kind of context. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We've also done kind of an inn where we just kind of fellowship, and we get to know more people at the church. So it's really easy to come in here, I think, and, and say hi to everybody, and then you worship, and then you leave, and you don't see anybody. And so you don't get that connection that Eric's talking about. Yeah. 30 people um, also allows you to... 25 to 30, I guess is roughly where we're at. It also allows you to kind of find out what people's talents are, and it, and it gives you the ability to kind of step out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, whether you're gifted in prayer, you're gifted in music, not like Josh, who's gifted at everything he does musically, um, but uh, it gives you the opportunity also to maybe teach if you felt like you have a calling or mm -hmm. skill to teach. Mm -hmm. So um, there's quite a few differences, I think, with the larger group, um, just gives you a, a better chance to reach into that community. Mm -hmm. Just talked to somebody last week, a friend of mine, who uh, came from a bigger church and came to Springs Community because they felt like they weren't connecting. And I think with that KLC, it's not as intimidating as a congregation of 500 people or even 200 people. Yeah. Uh, but gives you a chance to kind of meet people, talk to them, get to know them, and start to create that friendship. Yeah. Deb, what would you say was your favorite part of the KLC? Favorite part. Um, you know, we were joking this morning a little bit, um, joking that Sunday night, it's been a long week, going to get ready for work, I've got homework to do, football is on, don't start. Um, <laughs> but every time we would go and we would come back and we were blessed by it, even if it was like, oh, I've got to go. Um, whether it was sharing just a meal or praying with somebody or being blessed by just laughing together. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was my favorite part is mm -hmm. knowing that no matter what, it was going to be a blessing to us, even if, again, it felt like something you had to do, it was never that way. 
it was always, um, it mattered and it, it really has built friendships for us. Yeah. So I think that's, it's amazing. And I felt like this was a testimony of sacred friendship because you should all know that Deb is a New England Patriots fan. And I have remained friends with her through this whole I don't really know process. why you like a Bears fan. <laughs> Can we uh, say thank you to Scott and Deb for sharing in that? Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you. So just an... An invitation of we are seeking to be communities in the kingdom life, communities um, within a larger church. We're, we're known by one another, and then we're also using our gifts and serving one another in that way. Those are the kingdom life communities that are available. The second uh, aspect of the psalm I want to bring out is in um, the next verse there, in verse 2, would you look at that with me again? It says, but, those, uh, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. I love that, uh, the, the use of that word meditation. That idea, I've, I, I've preached and, and used that word in the past and some have come up to me and said, we don't like that word meditation, it's too new agey. I said, well, let's look at Psalm 1. So that's, a, that's a verse that, that's, that's not very evangelical in some ways, that a lot of Christians in our churches, we see spiritual formation only based on what we know and not who we are. And, and part of my holy dissatisfaction is that I'm not satisfied with knowing a bunch of stuff, of knowing the Bible. Right? I, I want to be a part, I want to allow the Lord not just to transform my mind, but, but transform my whole soul who I am. I, I don't want to just teach a, a lesson of sorts and that people are growing and growing in biblical knowledge, but I want us as a community of faith to be transformed from the inside out. I also love the idea, that, that verse, because he says he's meditating, and by the way, the Hebrew word there is far more significant than the English Word. Some of you have seen pictures at the Wailing Wall, and you'll see an Orthodox Jew rocking and repeating verses, and they're, they're just there. That, that's a form of what that Hebrew word of meditation means. There's a, there's a passion, there's an intensity, there's a focus on the Lord. It's not just about knowing the Lord, it's being with the Lord and praying and, and pressing in and repeating. I want my faith journey to look a little bit like that. I, I want the, the focus of my life not to be on my own truth and understanding and I'm trying to understand the world and bring pieces of scripture here. But I want the focus of my life to be God's revelation 
and God's truth. I want to press into that. And as I get into the scriptures, as I meditate on the scriptures, so the scriptures are getting into me and transforming me. Again, it's not just understanding of the word, but experiencing the word himself. It's not just understanding the truth of God, but it's experiencing the truth giver, yes? See the difference in those ideas. The holy dissatisfaction and the invitation for more is related to that that deeper transformation. I'm not okay with a shallow transformation. It does, uh, choosing God's revelation. Listen to how Psalm 19.7 puts it. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. I know the Lord as we meditate on him and his truth. He will make us wise but he will also bring renewal and refreshing to the soul. I've been rereading the Gospels and looking at the life of Jesus in a slightly different way lately. Something that's become profound for me that Psalm 1 does relate to is the rhythms of life. Did you notice that day and night he meditates. There's a, there's a rhythm that that speaks of. And I've been looking at the life of Jesus and saying, I wonder if there is a rhythm to his life that might be instructive and, and, and challenging for us. And lo and behold, there is. In fact, just one rhythm Luke 5, 15 and 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. That sounds like Jesus was leading a really busy life. Right? I wonder if he struggled as uh, becoming a workaholic. Look at that next. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He would press into sacred rhythms to be with the Lord, that idea. One of the uh, ministries that we're inviting you to prayerfully consider is what we call apprentice huddles. I want to invite uh, Natalie Youngner up here. And as she walks up, I wanted you to think about this. One of the, the questions that has related, here you go, Natalie, to the apprentice huddles. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. Did I just kill the mood? This is what every day looks like, by the way, in the office. One of the questions that I want you to ask is, 
Is there a methodology of how Jesus did discipleship? Did he have a methodology of how we wanted to see transformation in the lives of his people? Is that a good question? I think that's like a million dollar question. I think that's a, that's a big question. And we were challenged that that didn't look like a classroom or an ivory tower. It looked like a day-to-day, a -day, and that's where the, some of the, the genesis of Apprentice Huddle began, is looking at the methodology of, uh, of Jesus. So Natalie was one of the first to say, okay, I'll give this a whirl, and I'll try and lead a, a huddle as we're going. So Natalie, would you share a little bit about your experience? You said, okay, I'll start a huddle. What did that look like, the startup of that? Well, it took a few weeks for Eric to convince me to say yes. <laughs> uh, and then God was super gracious and put um, a few, uh, there were six of us kind of all together, women who uh, came to mind, who I invited, who then said yes. Um, and so it was really just inviting them to my home and saying, I don't know quite what this is going to look like, but let's explore it together. And, um, and that was about a year and a half ago and that we've been meeting now. Yeah, and it wasn't a sense like Natalie was the rabbi, because we all know that ain't true. <laughs> but it was a sense of inviting others to journey with her in a deeper way. And allow it, yeah, would you say that? Yeah, that for sure. Like I, you know, like I said, it's been a year and a half. I still don't know that I feel equipped to lead this, <laughs> but here we are. And so being able to um, be in a place where the spirit was alive and present and we were all just learning from one another, um, using the material as our guide, as our framework, but being able to say like, I'm not sure what prophetic ministry means, but let's explore it together um, was, yeah, was really valuable. And then would you say, I, I think hearing uh, my wife is in Natalie's huddle and, and hearing stories of really good connects and some spiritual growth, but Natalie, I'd ask you, how have you personally grown from facilitating this huddle? Um, well, <laughs> um, I think it is... There's a head knowledge, of course. Um, as I said, you know, we went in there based on these five streams of ministry. We went in not knowing exactly what prophetic looked like or, um, or what even evangelism looked like in the context of SCC. And so learning these things, exploring these things, there certainly was a head knowledge um, that was gained. But I think just as you said in the intro, like these have changed my rhythms. And what I have learned is that um, you can't just say, yes to God, there is a spiritual, there is a discipline that comes with that. If you want to grow, there is a discipline that you have to engage yourself and engage your life with. And so learning how to do listening prayer has, in, has enhanced my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Learning how to read the Bible in a different or more thorough way has enhanced my relationship with Jesus. So it's, it's the learning, but then as you study these subjects for five to six weeks or sometimes even longer, then it's seeing how the head transforms the heart. Yeah, yeah. And I thought Deb 
Mortensen might bring this up, but is it fair to say, Deb, that uh, one of those, like the Lord's Prayer in outline form, that has been transformational for you in the Kingdom Life community, so we're learning some of the crossover disciplines that are there and seeing transformation happening in both of those venues, yeah? And then seeing how, as a group, we're all gifted so differently. So I was, I mentioned it several times, but I was nervous about going into the prophetic ministry because I just didn't know anything about it. And I didn't, so much can be learned from experience. And then wouldn't you know it, God brought us, Kimberly Clark, <laughs> to, to our huddle who has experience in the prophetic. And so then we were able to learn through her experiences um, and so, so it's not just valuable personally, but then learning from one another and learning like, wow, I think you do have a gift here. And I want to know more about what that looks like in a, in a real person, um, beyond just kind of the theoretical. Yeah. Hey, Natalie, thank you so much. Can we say thank you to Natalie? Give me back my tall stool. Um, one more thing, look at the, the next verse in, in Psalm 1. Uh, it's a beautiful verse, perhaps the most beautiful verse. It's a, an analogy, so it goes from contrast to an analogy. It says, the one who is choosing to live life for God is a promise that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. You can also think of a contrast if you think of a, a tree all by itself in the desert, maybe a cactus, as dry and there's no stream, there's no water. When you think of a tree that's right by a, a river that's flowing and, and the roots are going down into that river and, and sucking up regularly that life and power. And then even when it's not the, the fruit season, if it's a fruit tree, the, the leaves are bright and green right? because it's planted next to that stream. And then in fruit season, at just the right time, in God's rhythm, and God's season, God's faithfulness, we're producing and we're doing the things that we're called to do. Now, in Scripture, streams of living water is often an analogy. Does anyone know? What was that? Holy Spirit, free cup of coffee for you, Mike. Well done, yes. Yeah, so there's a, a few where you're reading ahead in that. Look at just John 7, 30, 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Or there's Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The Holy Spirit is meant to be a central part of the Christian life. He's meant to be a central part of our fellowship and relationships, a central part of our discipleship and our spiritual growth, his presence, and a central part of our witness 
and testimony. And here's where the holy dissatisfaction, part of the holy dissatisfaction come up. That many evangelical churches are very Trinitarian, that they believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> and there's an ignorance in the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet he's supposed to be a central part of really every aspect of our church and our lives. And we have neglected his presence and power in all of those areas. And that has created that holy dissatisfaction for me. And yet again, the invitation for the more. What would it look like that we would be a community of faith that was truly Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we were, whether it was in our fellowship or our witness and evangelism, that we were like trees planted and the life of God that our roots were, were in was flowing into our lives. And it was like we were trees for, for folks, Christian and non-Christian, to, to take the fruit and go, that is good. What, what do you got going on there? What would it look like, especially in our evangelism and witness, if it wasn't driven by our own energy and strength, but driven by the energy of the Holy Spirit. Of course, that relates to our, our final ministry that we're inviting you to, and that is missing Jesus. I wanted to invite Sean Donahue up, and I'm gonna keep the big school stool on you, Sean. Come on forward. And I would say it's important to note that all of these ministries we've been pressing into, we've been learning, we're, we're shifting in different ways to try and make them as effective as possible. And that's true of both, uh, of all three of Kingdom Life communities. We're, we're shifting to make them uh, appropriate apprentice huddles. We are missing Jesus. We've actually been doing all three for a couple of years. And Sean was a part of missing Jesus. And the premise of missing Jesus was this, is that I believe most of the world is missing Jesus because we don't really know, the world doesn't really know his true message and his true invitation. And I believe that part of the reason the world is missing this Jesus is because the church has missed this Jesus, his message. What would it look like if we presented the, the, the Jesus of Scripture and be able to ask questions like, Jesus, what would you say about suffering? That's a barrier that many of us have in our, in our walk and also many those who don't know Jesus, suffering is one of the biggest barriers. What would it look like to say, Jesus, what would you have to say about that. So, Sean, when you heard some of those topics in Missing Jesus, um, the premise was if you had an opportunity to have coffee with Jesus, what's the one question that you would ask him? 
And what were some of the things that you remember that you struck that you were um, you connected with while you were we were going through those discussions? Well, I think the biggest um, was that we're not called to be sideline participants. Hmm. Um, that there's an invitation uh, to to not just watch the kingdom unfold, um, but that we're called to bring that kingdom. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, in the text that you asked me, you mentioned suffering, and then you talked about the Holy Spirit this whole time, and that's really what was striking me uh, during the time. Um, I particularly bonded with the idea that, you know, Jesus didn't just come out with his power all by himself. He had to be baptized and have the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do all the great things that he did. And part of that invitation is that we get to have that power too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and that relates. Part of missing Jesus is a day away and we focus on the, the work and person of the Holy Spirit. I think that has tremendous evangelistic opportunity for people to go on that. Sean, you had a, a pretty neat experience in that. Would you share just a little bit about that experience with us? Yeah, and uh, again, very heavily spirit-driven. Um, one, I remember um, talking before the, the really cool experience happened about how God is always transmitting and whether or not we're tuned into his frequency is, uh, is the challenge. Uh, but he's always... He's always reaching out, and um, we're just not always tuned in. Yeah. Um, but what, what was uh, cool, I had the experience and the um, pleasure of uh, translating for a lady that, that was with our community for some time. She was from the Ivory Coast and uh, couldn't speak any English at all. Um, I spent some time in, in my youth in France, so I spoke French. and. Um, so I was translating for her uh, at, uh, at the service. And uh, she, she took the class, and so I would translate the most important things um, that, that I could to her as, as we were going through the class. And then we went to a retreat. And um, right at the start of the retreat, she got a, a call where she had lost a family member. So she was already uh, emotionally um, distressed, I guess, and we were, we were huddled around and praying for each other, um, and I remember some people having some very strong visions about the things that were going on and the attacks that were happening, and we were praying for, for Agnes, um, and um, of course she couldn't understand what people were saying, so I was translating what people were saying, and uh, I think that's when the power of the Spirit kind of took me over, and, and um, I hadn't quite felt anything like that before. Um, you were later to tell me it felt like a power surge. Power surge, yeah, yeah. And Sean's hands were on Agnes, and he was translating, and my hands were on Sean, and it did feel like a power surge. So much, uh, Sean, if it's okay that I share, you kind of like pulled back and you were like, ah, oh! do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I almost wanted to say, stop. That's too much. It's too much, right? I, I can't. 
I can't handle it. But God is bigger than that. He can, he can take you through anything. Uh, so, no, that was, uh, that was quite intense. Um, and so the, the, the power of the Spirit is probably what was transformational for me at that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when we had the opportunity to put our hands on you and, um, you know, some of the stuff that happened there was pretty cool too. Some of the visions of the attacks that you were under mm. at the time and, yeah. and the, the force field that I saw around you. Yeah. Right? A little yeah. Star Wars reference. Star Wars reference. Yeah. That was pretty, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Can we say thank you to Sean for sharing that? So, really, I, I, I don't mean this to, to be a commercial or any sense. It, it is our, our Vision Sunday. Don't want uh, any of this to be driven by guilt or whatsoever. But I do believe, as Natalie shared in her announcements, this actually isn't about like numbers and goals. This is about your transformation. This is about you um, growing in Christ. It's about our, our conviction and belief that this community of faith is called to be about sacred friendships, deep spiritual formation, and empowered witness. That that's what God has been speaking to us and inviting. And we believe that these three ministries that you have in this card, to, to engage in those you're actually going to be, I believe, growing in all three regardless of, of which ministry that you participate in. But we're really seeking to, to design these ministries to allow, give space uh, to the Spirit to work in those three ways. Sacred friendships, deep spiritual transformation, and empowered witness. And so, again, I'm... Uh, this isn't about any kind of pressure or guilt, but I, I did. I would ask you if you're ready to to put your name and, and address there. And would there be one of these that you would say, "Boy, this I, I'd like to try it. I, I'd like to to jump in and see what they have." Now you can check more than one box. All right. If you check three boxes, you'll become my new favorite congregational member. That would be awesome. But, but really, whatever, would you pray? Just I want to give you a moment. Um, would the musicians and the elders come forward? We're going to prepare for communion. Um, I'm going to give you a moment just to, to listen to the Lord and, and fill that out. And on your way out, you can drop these. We'll have some ushers with the baskets that you'll be able to drop it after communion when we end the service. So the way we do communion is that the we have a section for uh, a station for each section at the appropriate time. If you could leave to your right, come. And, and uh, this week we're doing it by intinction where you can dip the, the cracker into the glass and, and take the element right there. It's an expression of intimacy between you and the Lord. And then after you've taken the elements with the elders, return to your, 
your section to your left. Again, if there's a, a line that's longer than the other, you can go to a different line. We're not legalistic. It was the, the night that Jesus was betrayed. Say that this is a sacred rhythm that he practiced personally himself. And then this sacrament, he desired this in part to be a sacred rhythm of our faith. That we would do this together and that we would remember his great sacrifice. He took the bread and after he blessed it, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In fact, he had a kingdom vision, a vision of the kingdom and what life would be like for you and I in the kingdom of God right here and right now, but he knew that we couldn't do it on our own. He knew that we could not grow in intimacy with God and transformation from the inside out. And we could not be the kingdom community that he was calling us to on our own, that we were too rebellious and too sinful, too broken. And that's why he went to the cross. He took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant. He was talking about a new relationship and a new life that his death was opening up for you and I. He was saying, come, live the beautiful life that I died for you to have. We do this not only in remembrance of Christ, but we also do this in anticipation when someday he will return and all of our holy dissatisfaction will be fully met. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've committed your life to him, the table is ready. Would you come and take? Would you go knowing that he has a vision for your life? He has a promise for your life. He knows you and he loves you and he's inviting you to your best life, the life he died for you to have. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God bless you.